visiting. We're going through the book of Ephesians, so we're going to pick it up with where we left off the week before last, uh, which is verse 15. I'll be reading uh, verses 15 uh, through 18. 15 through 18, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for this word this morning, just these four verses. We pray that you would magnify them, fill them with the power, Lord, that we know is there, but that we would see that revelation and we would respond to it in obedience, but also, Lord, that you would bring the encouragement, the conviction, the comfort, whatever is needed for each person here this morning, you would accomplish it by your Holy Spirit, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before the gospel came into our ears and opened our spiritual eyes and softened our hearts, we had either a false hope or no hope, whether we realized that or not. We had either a false hope or we had no hope, but we did not have real hope. We didn't have a living and eternal hope. Perhaps um, you know, someone has been given, hey, if you, if you try this remedy, I guarantee you're going to feel better in two days. You ever done that? That was a false hope. Now, they, they might have meant well, but it really couldn't deliver necessarily. Perhaps some in this room, when, it, when we're speaking of the real hope that God brings and has brought and has sent with his son. Perhaps some in this room still don't have that hope, and I can assure that the scriptures are very clear that God's desire is that every person know that real hope. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of our time in the Word is Filled with Hope. Filled with Hope. Hopelessness, we're all familiar with that word. Hopelessness, uh, the wrong hope or the absence of hope, would best define what hopelessness you you have no hope you have the you're trusting in the wrong thing you don't think there's any hope and this either false hope misguided hope absence of it altogether that was the state of things in Ephesus there in ancient Ephesus uh, before the gospel was preached in their midst and this is this was of course the case everywhere Paul went it didn't matter if he went to Corinth or Athens Athens you know there were very intelligent people there in Athens they worshiped things uh, he, when he finally made it to Rome when he was in Antioch it didn't matter what city he was in this was the case everywhere and for that matter everywhere past present and future until Christ returns until the gospel is preached people have either no hope or a false hope but the Ephesians, or at least enough of them at this point to be a functioning and growing church. Isn't that great? A functioning and growing church. Well, they had put their hope in Christ. 
And when they were told the truth, let me say that again. And when they were told the truth, that Jesus was their only hope, well, God started to do amazing things in their midst. And he still is doing this for us and everyone that hears the truth and responds to it. By the way, brothers and sisters, you know, here comes Easter season. You've got two, we only got two weeks till Easter Sunday, and this shouldn't stop after Easter. Make no apology for sharing the gospel. No apology necessary for sharing the gospel. Be courteous, be kind, be compassionate, be understanding, be loving, be sensitive to situations, but not an apology for sharing the gospel. Jesus told us to do it. That, would, that in and of itself would be enough. He told us to do it. It's the only hope for the world. And it's the only hope for every soul in this world. Would you apologize for giving someone a million dollars? I'm sorry to give you this million dollars. I know you're going to hate this. No. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The Jewish blood and everybody else, all the other Gentile people, it doesn't matter, God so loved the world. Now hope, it really does change and transform an individual or a group of people. That, that word hope, it really does bring change to a single person, I mean, not a single person marital status, but just a single individual or a group of people gathered together. The Greek word for hope used in verse 18 where it says that you may know what is the hope of his calling in verse 18. This Greek word, it means this, the expectation of good. The expectation of good. In a Christian sense, it means the expectation or the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. That is an expectation, isn't it? This is a different definition of like, boy, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's, you can use the word hope for that. But if you say, I have the hope of heaven. This isn't saying, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It says, I know. I have the joyful, confident expectation of heaven. Amen. You can say, my hope is I will spend all eternity with all of you. I don't have to say why. I, that could happen if I cross my fingers and cross my legs and everything else. It might happen. It absolutely will. It's the joyful, confident expectation that kind of confidence will change attitudes. It changes perspectives, and it changes actions. You'll go to work tomorrow, those of you that have to work tomorrow. Some of you have different shifts, and maybe you don't work again until Tuesday or whatever. But whenever you next go to work, and for those of you going tomorrow, when you go to work, you fully expect to get paid. If you didn't, you wouldn't be going. 
You are fully expecting, I don't know if it's a joyful expectation, but you're fully expecting to get paid. You're fully expecting that when you go in and you work, you're going to be paid for what you do. And you believe getting paid is a good thing. And so we all do. We all believe that with you. But that hope, which is now known by experience, because you have done it enough times to see paycheck come. You believe it's going to happen again. It makes alarm clocks going off and traffic and ironing a shirt and packing a lunch all seem worth it. Well, on some days. <laughs> and then when someone puts donuts in the break room, that's just hope squared. That's hope multiplied, you know. Except for you were hoping to keep a diet, and then that blew it up, so. But the lack of hope kills motivation. And it kills the will to go forward. And in the Christian life, it kills the will to do what we've been called to do when there's no hope, when we've forgotten our hope, when our hope has become misguided and, and when our vision is clouded, then there is no motivation to go forward and do the things that Jesus has called us to do. You know, people die with no hope. They languish without hope. Oscar Wilde wrote these words in poetry. He said, we did not dare to breathe a prayer or give our anguish scope. Something was dead in each of us, and what was dead was hope. But hope was not dead among the Ephesians, and it's not dead here among us. I, I saw the worship this morning. I felt the, the Spirit speaking hope through the music, speaking hope through what the words were that you were reading and, and internalizing, not only in your mind, but in your spirit. And that hope of knowing for the Ephesians, that their sins were forgiven and that Jesus was preparing an eternal home for them had given them the real reason for living and sharing their lives. That's what we do in the body of Christ. And Pastor Troy did a great job talking about that last night. Sharing our lives with one another. And the better news, as Paul lays out here, is that what he has already done in them I'm talking about the Ephesians. What he had already done in them to date can continue to grow and can continue to deepen. In other words, you can have greater hope than you already know. Because we're still alive. And if we're still alive, God is still revealing. And if God is still revealing, he's still transforming, he's still transforming. He's still renewing and taking us, as the Scripture says, from glory to glory. God doesn't have a, a, a stock. Well, that's about as far as I can reveal to you. You've hit the cap. People, be, people, us people, can become more hopeful and even more used by the Spirit of God. And the cool thing is, when that happens, it brings more hope to more people. It's, Jesus said, I want you to go out because... He wanted us to be fruitful and multiply. But if we don't have hope, we have no hope to bring anyone else. Now, with communion this morning, we're just going to look at these four verses that I read. But I want to look at them in two groupings. So if you're taking notes, the first one is this. 
a deeper faith and love, and Paul speaks about this in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The initial point of faith for the Ephesians and for all of us was to believe in Jesus. That's the initial point of faith. That's the key that went in the door. The initial point of our faith was to believe in Jesus Christ, not to know his name. Not, lots of people, you talk to anyone in the street, they've heard the name of Jesus. They've used his name as a swear word this week, some of them, right? So it's not that they don't know the name, but they don't know the man. They don't know him as Savior. They don't know him as Lord. So the initial point of our faith was to believe in and on Jesus, to believe that what he said about our sin, to what he said about our guilty condition, to what he said about our awaiting sentence of judgment, that was all true before we believed on him. What he says about our sin, not what we think about it. Now we say, well, I don't think this is so bad. doesn't matter if we think it's so bad. What God says is truth. Well, I don't believe in gravity. Well, a lot of ways to test that theory. It's not a theory, though. It's real. And to believe that only Jesus could reverse our condition. Through what? Through repentance, which is turning from our sins and trusting on his name and in his blood sacrifice for our sins. That's the initial, the initial point of our faith. This initial point of our faith is to believe in the gospel of Jesus. Now, we've talked about gospel and other uh, teachings, both on our Wednesday nights as well as um, this study in Ephesians. The gospel means good news, to believe on that good news. It's the only news that is well beyond good. It is amazing. It is eternally transforming. Not to believe that Jesus was a good man, not to believe that he was a good teacher, but Savior. Jesus' opening words in ministry, you, you know them, I, I mention them often. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what he said. Matthew 1.15, I mean Mark 1.15. Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. And this is what the Ephesians had done, as Paul expressed in the 13th verse. This is why Paul is also so thankful, as he says here, um, that I do not cease to give thanks of you, uh, making mention of you in my prayers. This is why he's thankful. It's part of his continuous prayer life that he's thankful that God has redeemed. Remember, the Ephesians had a lot of other God options. Not, I mean, little g. They had the Temple of Diana. They had Greco-Roman gods. They had gods that were brought there from all over the world, from the Egyptians, from the Assyrians, from the Babylonians, from the Persians, and all these different things that had amalgamated into different things, but they had not the real thing until Jesus was preached among them. And they had turned from that. And you remember we talked about in the book of Acts, they burned 50,000 uh, pieces of silver worth of magic books because they weren't magic. They were a false hope. And, they, and Paul, he was so thankful. And aren't you thankful when you meet people that you used to know unsaved and now you know I'm saved? I, I, if that ever stops blowing your mind, just stop for a second and rethink through. Say, wow, every now and then you need to 
someone you're talking to, you're interacting with here, don't take for granted who they are today. Remember back, say, I remember when they didn't know Jesus. And they would look at me cross-eyed when I would even mention a verse, right? And now they're showing me, I read this verse this week, I read this verse this week, and I'm like, are you the same person? Well, they're not the same person. That's why we give thanks. That's why Paul was giving thanks. And we should be too. And, we, and Paul said in his prayers, we should be praying over one another, praying for one another, thanking God for... Matter of fact, when you're not feeling so great, just start praying and thanking God for certain people who got saved. Yes. Turn, your whole, turn your day around. I mean, you're in a miserable mood. God is often just seeing how we respond to things. Well, he's always seen how we respond to things. Just start, Lord, I want to... Since I'm not feeling so, I'm going to start thanking you for this person, this person, this person, this person that got saved. And all of a sudden, your mind's not on you anymore. And the Holy Spirit just starts to do that work in us. The only true faith is saving faith. Saving faith is that faith, as Jesus explained, it causes us to throw ourselves on him. And he's called the rock of our salvation. Jesus said, anyone who falls upon this rock will be broken. But whoever this rock falls on will be ground into powder. The wisest thing you could ever do, and hopefully you've done, was to fall on the rock of Jesus. And you did get broken up. Many of you had tears of repentance come down, and you, you felt, wow, how did I do all this stuff for all these years? And God says, it's okay. I'm going to cleanse and forgive. I'm going to throw your sins as far as the east is from the west. We're broken over our sin, but our soul and our spirit are made new in Christ. We become New creations by his grace received through faith. But genuine faith brings a real change. Genuine faith brings a real change. You know, a little, um, a little worm, boy, don't you hate this year, time of year when those trees, they start to have those web things everywhere, the white looking, and there's all those little worm things crawling. They fall on your back, and you're like, what in the world is that? And, you know, you know you're, at, you're at lunch break or something like that, and there's one crawling here and another one crawling. They later become butterflies. They go through a real change. They don't stay that way. God does, he makes a new creation out of us. We, real faith brings about a real change. I was talking about this with some men recently. But if you knew some believers, and some of you, this is you, before you got saved, you used to curse, no problem at all. You curse about everything. Just to make emphasis, you'd curse. So the story wasn't cool enough, just add a curse word, then it became extra cool, right? This is the way men talk to each other. They, they, it really makes it. You've got to believe this one. Oh, it's not, I'm not getting any reaction. Let me add a few curse words. Oh, yeah, now that is awesome, dude. That's why Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need all that. Just be, just be genuine. But anyway, I digress. Maybe you used to regularly lose your temper, get angry. You were arrogant. And then you stopped cursing, you became forgiving, you stopped blowing up all the time in front of everybody, you became humble and appreciative, and guess what? People will notice this. They used to avoid you. Now they avoid you because you're a follower of Jesus, but they used to avoid you because they just didn't like you. But either way, they notice. Saving faith, it has that visible change. And Paul references here, one of the evidences of saving faith, of real faith in Christ, Paul references one of those evidences right here, and it's this. 
Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the evidences of people that have really been saved, not just say, oh, yeah, I walked an aisle, I did this, I did that, and, you know, do you care about the body of Christ? Oh, pff, I don't have time for Christians, but I am one. I don't have time for the, the, the church. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to go to a Bible study. I don't have time to invest in people's lives, but I am saved. Well, Paul says one of the evidences is that you have love for one another, what Jesus already said at John 13, 35. That's people will know that you really belong to him if you love the brethren, if you love the brothers and sisters in Christ. What Pastor Troy was talking about that last week, that we have to pursue each other in love. That actually takes work. Those of you that are married know that a marriage takes work. You have to pursue a good marriage. You have to pursue love. You have to die to self on a regular basis. But it's all worth it because God enriches it. God will make your family stronger. We have to have love for all the saints. And he says that they did. He says, when I heard of your love for all the saints, this is that agape love, that self-sacrificing love, not what's in it for me love. What's in it for you, love, instead? That's, what, that's real salvation. All of a sudden, real salvation causes us to take our eyes off ourselves and point them at other people and say, how can I minister to them? By the way, I don't come to church. Truly, God knows my heart. I really do not come to church. I didn't, call, I didn't leave the business world to be a pastor for me. I did it for Jesus, and I come for other people. You need to come, well, you will be blessed, but just come for other people. Come for other people. Say, you know, I'm tired today. I don't really feel like going. Don't come for you. Remember, Pastor Troy was talking to Matthew 25. Jesus says, as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You gave me a drink of water. You sat by me. You know, the person you're sitting beside today, they might really need someone just to love on them. So you come for someone else. Now, when that happens, you get blessed in the process anyway. The happiest place you'll be is having Jesus flow through you to other people. George Washington Carver, you guys know who he is, right? right? Um, you know, his whole family was in slavery, and then he, he comes and he just had this mind for studying things. Like, we can all thank him for peanut butter today, you know? <laughs> he studied the peanut. He studied sweet, he did a ton of stuff with sweet potatoes, uh, but he left all of his money, even when he was, uh, he didn't have tons, but $60,000 I think was about what he had when he died. He gave all that away, even at death, to make sure other people could go to college. He actually uh, really wanted to see other people liberated from either situation where they couldn't go to school. But he had... Um, not only a, a mind for learning and understanding, he was a scientist, he was an inventor, but he had a heart for the Lord. He was a born-again believer, he was a Christian. His favorite Bible passage actually was Psalm 121, verses 1 to 2. He said, uh, he loved this verse, I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And, they, and not only did he know he needed God's help, but he also knew God made everything. So knowing that God's help and God's wisdom was always available, he proceeded forward in life to say, Lord, what can you show me? And I love what he said here. He said uh, this about investing time and loving people. 
George Washington Carver said this. He said, anything will give up its secrets if you love it enough. Not only have I found that when I talk to the little flower or the little peanut, they will give up their secrets. But I have found that when I silently commune with people, they will give up their secrets if you love them enough. If you love them enough, I, I, I had one of my mentors and, and someone who's discipled me, he said, people will receive anything from you provided they know you really love them. Nobody, not just anybody, can go speak into someone's life. But once they know you really love them, once they know you really care about them, once they know that you will be there for them, you can put an arm around them and really help guide them. That, that works with your children, but that works with your peer group. That works with people that are older. It works with people younger. And I believe that what he said is exactly true. They will open up. But people won't open up unless relationships are built. And relationships can't be built unless love is given. And love can't be given unless there's time given. And input and effort. You've got to get out of your comfort zone to go love people. And then when you get there, you're going to have to sometimes, you can't be watching your watch the whole time. I'm coming here. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. And if the relationship ain't established after 15 minutes, there will be no relationship. <laughs> Imagine if Jesus operated this way. Woman at the well. All right. You've got about five minutes to figure out who I am. No. Took time with people. As faith grows, our love will grow. Again, one of my mentors told me, I stuck you know, you guys know Sam Nadler. If we're not growing in love, we're not growing. Right. Not growing in love, we're not growing. But they were growing in faith, they were growing in love, and Paul said, This is an awesome thing to see. The last two verses we want to look at is found in verses 17 and 18 that God, that the God, listen to this title here, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory. That the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Verse 17, this title, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this takes us back to verses 1 through 5 where we started this study, that God the Father is the source. We talked about this Friday night in our uh, home fellowship group. Uh, God is the source of the sending of Jesus. God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, they are individual, they are equal, they are one, and yet they are separate in this relationship where the Son really is the Son to the Father, and the Father really is the Father to the Son, and then He becomes our Father. He adopts us as his sons and daughters, which that has been discussed by Paul in previous verses also here in chapter 1. The adoption of us to the Father, which is why Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, why he said, our Father in heaven, why he said, I go to the Father. So he's our Father. And not only is God prepared, not only is God the Father right now, right this very moment, not only is God preparing a place for us, but what we see here is he's preparing us for the place. This is what's happening now. In heaven, God's preparing the place. Now, he could prepare it 
instantaneously if he wanted to, just like creation. He didn't need six days to create the earth and rest on the seventh. God does things for a reason, some of which he explains, some of which he does not explain. And I don't know about you, but I'm just fine with him not explaining everything. That's, what, he- that's all, what all eternity is about. We get to learn about what this meant and what this meant, and now I understand. But right now he's preparing heaven for us, but right now he's preparing us for heaven. And not only does faith and love grow as we have this hope in Christ, but our understanding of the nature of God grows. Some of you that have been walking with the Lord, do you now really, I mean, you could say, I understand more the nature of God than I did 20 years ago. I do. I'm not saying that I understand all the nature of God because no one can. All of our collective brain power and spirit anointed revelation can't understand all of what God is, but we understand more than we used to. And that's how some of you, in the book of Hebrews, says many of you should be teachers by now. Many of you should be able to convey this to other people by now. You should be able to transfer that knowledge. It's called discipleship. Discipling other people is when we have understood enough that we now can take that, but we're still learning. Last Sunday when I was sitting in the front row, I had my notebook out. Even though Troy was covering verses I've read many times, I meant it when I said, I get to sit by my wife and learn something today. And I really did. I wrote things down, some of which I knew that I had forgotten. And if you've forgotten it, you're learning it all over again. That's okay. It's all part of the process of God preparing us for heaven. Um, He's not just wanting us to, uh, to grow in love and in faith, but he also wants us to grow in wisdom and understanding and in revelation. Not just making decisions in life based on pros and cons. A lot of times, all the cons are where God will send the decision. That will really blow your mind, right? You're saying, hold on a second, Lord. None of this seems to be in my favor if I go this route. And God says, exactly. You know, when Moses took the children of Israel to the Red Sea, they thought the man had lost his mind. That, Moses, this is a death trap. And God says, no, this is a, a, a liberation, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, life-giving moment that will be spiritually a type for all eternity of salvation, which is what it is. That God's taken us through that. We were, I, I played that song Tuesday night in the workshop, that he's part of the seas and we walk right through them. So we don't make decisions in life just from pros and cons. We make them based on the Holy Spirit revealing to us. No, no, that might look, uh, oh, what if God says, you get a job promotion. All you got to do is move to Anchorage, Alaska tomorrow. (laughs) Do you say yes immediately because of money? No, you pray about it. Because God might say, that's not where I called you. That offer wasn't from me. That offer was from the other source. Sometimes that happens. God says every good and perfect gift is from above, but not every gift is perfect. Some of them are flesh, and so God doesn't want us to make decisions just on pros and cons. You ever meet someone who says they already read the Bible once? I've already read it. Like it was a comic book or something. You know, um, I've already read the Bible. Uh, I can check that box. It was like they read a classic literary work, and now they can move, they understood the main plot, 
Understood the main, there's, there's good and there's evil, and, and, uh, that, and I understood the plot, and now I'm ever to move on to another classic literary work. But that's not the scriptures. The scriptures are supernatural. The work of the Spirit is supernatural. It radically changes in the mind that pe- things people could never overcome. How do you think the demoniac could go from naked and slicing himself up to the very next moment clothed in his right mind? No one else was able to figure that out. Jesus walks up and says, be gone. And it was fixed because the Word of God has that. Jesus spoke the Word of God, but this is the same Word of God that we study and read. and has this same power. Psalm 1, many of you probably love this passage. I've always loved Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walketh not, in the, or standeth, uh, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Now, what happens when he meditates on the word? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You ever seen these trees planted by rivers? The roots go real deep. They just get bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger because they're always being fed by life-giving water. And the trees grow, and squirrels can live in them, and birds can live in them, and people can climb them, and not adults, but kids can climb them and stuff like that. And, and they have shade giving and all of these things because they're constantly being fed by these rivers of water whose leaf <clears throat> does not wither and whatever it does shall prosper. Paul is saying, God's desire for you, Ephesians. God's desire for you, Calvary Chapel of Richmond or those of you that are visiting from other places. God's desire is that you would grow and that you mature. And God's desire for us in this church is to be planted and to abide in Christ and to grow not only in faith and love, but to grow in wisdom for new steps. We we need wisdom for new steps, don't we? I do. You know, I'm going to need wisdom for steps when I turn, I'm 48 now, when I turn 60. I guarantee over the next 12 years, I'm going to need a lot of new steps. You will too. Aging parents, this situation, college, relationships. You'll need wisdom for those steps. And it won't be, well, I read the Bible once. You'll need to be being fed. A tree, say, well, you had, just yank it out of the river water, say, you had water last year. Watch what happens to that tree. Just pull it up, pull it by the roots, say, well, you had a lot of drink. Matter of fact, you had 30 years of water, so you certainly won't need any more, right? No, it has to be planted. Try that with any of your trees in your yard. Just pull the rose bush up, just lay it on its side and say, you had lots of water the last six years. You know what would happen. It would die. So we have to be continually being fed. And Paul is telling the Ephesians, your initial point of faith can't be the ending of your faith. It's the beginning of your faith. Your faith has to keep growing. Your love has to keep growing. God wants to give you new wisdom, new understanding. We're going to need these uh, we're going to need wisdom for these new steps. We're going to need wisdom on how to reach the lost, how to better disciple people, how to reach people in these crazy, busy days we live in. We need wisdom today that wasn't necessarily the same exact. We have to use different things. They didn't have smartphones 2,000 years ago, but we can use the gospel in a powerful way. This week alone, and you know, I love you know, technology. Paul said he, he used the things of this world, though he's not misusing them. I love that, you know, last night I'm texting someone that's in South Korea. Friday, I was uh, having a Facebook communicator conversation with Rachel, who we're going to bless from Uganda. You remember Rachel? 
So she, by the way, she said, thank you so much. She goes, thank you for loving my family. We're sending her a love offering. And by the way, your, your prayers, Uganda's been getting rain now. So the dry, yeah, yeah, the dry land. The dry land there, they've been getting rain. But she had no idea we were going to love her and say, out of the blue, I told my wife, I said, I guarantee when we contact her, she's going to say this is a miracle. You know what she sent back to me? She goes, this is a miracle. Because when someone bless you and you're not expecting it, but today's technology, we have the chance to, to talk to people in Africa live time. I was talk, we're going back and forth live time talking, uh, talking to Pastor Jeff and, um, down in uh, Guatemala. Live time, going back and forth, talking to Pastor Jorge in El Salvador. We have the chance to use these mediums today with wisdom or, or the world can use it for evil. And they're using it for evil. And not, not all, I'm not, I'm not, there's plenty of just good, neither good nor bad, just business use. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about people that are using it for evil. But God gives us wisdom for the days in which we live in. You know, we received information. That was the truth, right? That was the God. We received that information. But to respond to it, we had to have application. We had to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. We had to have application. With application came what? Transformation. That's when we were transformed. And from transformation comes continuous life cycle of our life of revelation. Revelation. So information, application, transformation, revelation. When you're worshiping this morning, whether you realize it or not, the Spirit was revealing to you that you needed to worship. It might not have been a new revelation, but it was a renewed revelation. Because when John, the apostle, saw Jesus, he fell at the feet of Jesus as a dead man because he was revealed that the one he already knew was king of kings, he said, now I get it. I get how much he's king of kings. When we get to heaven, we'll, we'll, we won't believe it finally, but we will be revealed things that we had not comprehended. We had already believed it by faith, but then we would see new revelation. God wants to reveal things in your life and my life. That's why when you read a verse that you know you've read before, because you read the whole Bible and you can't figure out why is this verse jumping off the page, that's called revelation. God wants us to grow. He wants our confidence and expectation to grow exponentially. God wants us to believe in big things. That's why we have that we believe back there, and you're writing on it. I love seeing the things that you're writing and praying and believing. We believe he can do big things because he already has done big things. But then when we read a verse that actually takes us from feeling down in the dumps to immediately saying, wow, I all of a sudden have this burst of confidence. That's the Holy Spirit's revelation. Happens for me all the time. It'll never stop happening. Just like that tree by the river will never stop needing to keep getting water. Keep getting sunlight, keep getting nutrients, keep having that revelation come to us. Samuel Johnson said this. He said, the natural flights of the human mind are often from pleasure to pleasure. He said, the natural flights of the human mind, I'm sorry, let me reread this. The natural flights of the human mind are not from pleasure to pleasure, but from hope to hope. The natural flights of the human mind are not from pleasure to pleasure, but from hope to hope. What does that mean? Well, so many Americans, they live from pleasure to pleasure. They live from event to event, from fun event to fun event, 
from vacation to vacation, from new toy to new toy, from new experience to new experience. And he's saying none of that replaces new hope to new hope. You can never live off from pleasure to pleasure. Everyone's tried it. Elvis tried it. Michael Jackson tried it. Marilyn Monroe tried it. They've all tried it. They didn't have hope that led to greater hope, that led to greater hope, that led to greater hope. Their minds have not been renewed by Christ, those that are living from pleasure to pleasure instead of from hope to hope. They've not been given an eternal hope. They can't love and put others in front of themselves because eternity and the Spirit of Christ has not been imprinted on their hearts. But what about Christians that once had a great hope in Jesus that are now chasing stuff, that are now chasing pleasure to pleasure, that are now chasing the stuff of future yard sales, that are chasing just things that will fade faster than their own bodies are fading. If you don't think things are fading, just look in the mirror. <laughs> right? We fade, so does the automobile, so does the house. That's why the dump, which is less than two miles from here, is full of 28 years ago Christmas toys. Because that stuff fades away. And the letter to Ephesus, later, 30 to 40 years later, 34 years later, the Apostle John gets from Jesus that letter, and the first church he addresses is the church of Ephesus, and he says, you've lost your first love. They once had this love that Paul's excited about and wants to grow, but at some point, they turned and looked back at things that would never satisfy. Christian, don't do that. Don't be deceived. The, the advertisement is just as much of a mirage today as it was five years ago when you, when you turned away and went to the Lord. But many people have gone back and said, oh, now I, I think my, my coworkers are enjoying life more than I am. It's probably because you haven't been in the Word. You're not in fellowship. You're not loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. And when that's not happening, you're not playing about the rivers of water anymore. And so you think, well, they, ha they must have the drink. They don't. And if you do that, you'll eventually lose hope. Christians, let's let our lives be filled with the hope of his calling in verse 18. The hope of his calling, let it be filled with the, the knowledge of the riches of his glory, of his grace, his faith, of his love, of his inheritance, and let's bring as many people as possible into that hope. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.